Welcome to the Business Podcast, where we interview professionals across all industries. Hey, it's Simon. Welcome back. Today we have Kate Abate, a gerontologist, athlete, and nutrition advocate who works with adults to optimize healthy longevity across their lifespan. Kate, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. How are you? I'm so well, I'm, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Kick us off. Tell us a little bit about yourself and share something most people wouldn't know about you. Well, um, as you uh, discussed, I am a, a, I'm a gerontologist, which means that I study um, the variable of age and I work with people across the lifespan. Um, and I have a, a former past and a lot of heart in, in what I, in what I do, whether that's athletically or otherwise, I find myself straddling the boundary between advocacy and empowerment. Um, and that has taken shape as, you know, past lives, being a personal trainer, um, being a, a professional bodybuilder, um, uh, being a crisis counselor. Um, and, uh, in general, being kind of a, a cheerleader in the back of the room for, um, for, for the people in the room, you know. Um, I think something that maybe people don't know about me is that I have, I'm a lifelong student. I am, again, back in graduate school. Um, and I have had a very difficult time making up my mind <laughs> about what to study. And I you know, between hard sciences and soft sciences, I keep going back and forth. And, you know, I started with uh, a biological science background, and then I quickly switched to a political science background and an economic background. And then I circled back around to the medical science background. And um, I think um, sometimes it's easy to forget that there are always hard decisions we have to make or we have to turn something down that feels like we should be saying yes to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, maybe you can share something that comes to mind when you describe that. Um, I think even choosing, you know, choosing a vocation or even a location, you know, um, there are different opportunities in different cities across the country and across the world. Um, and you could have an amazing practice as a successful doctor um, in one part of the country, and you could be a you know a, a really high-powered uh, advocate and um, you know attorney in another part of the country. You know, I mean, I think if if we're all honest with ourselves, there are a lot of things we all can do. Um, and I think it's been kind of um, beaten into us to do the best we can do. And quite frankly, I think that presents a, a large philosophical um, problem set, you know, to kind of, to narrow that down. Because I think no matter how far along one is in one's career, I've, I've heard it said from the people with whom I work who are older, they say, you know, there's always that question is there something else I should be doing? You know, even as secure, as certain, or as wonderful as what I'm doing might be, um, there's always, we always have to say, say no to something, you know? Totally. 
thanks for explaining it that way. That makes a lot of sense. And it's, and just to to make it personal, <laughs> I've been really struggling with that um, because there are a lot of things I would like to do, and um, becoming a gerontologist was not something that when I was little <laughs> I thought I would be doing. Um, and I, you know, so anyways, I'm sorry to, to cut you off there. I think you make a really strong point and it fits nicely with the fact that you are a gerontologist because there are physical limits that we've faced at least up until this point as a human race. But some scientists are saying that um, we have the potential to live with certain technologies hundreds of years. And that's something interesting to review and explore. But maybe you can talk a little bit about how you got your career start and kind of walk us through the journey up until what you're doing now. Sure. Um, well, um, I started in, I actually started in yoga. Um, I did not, I, as I just kind of prefaced, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I thought I wanted to be an attorney. And then what I was graduating from college, it was 2007 and 2008, and the world was kind of exploding as we knew it. Um, and a lot of traditional options were really not on the table. Um, and I said, you know, I really love yoga. Um, let me get into it a little bit more and see what that's like. Um, and teaching yoga was a really beautiful experience and exploration um, of learning how to listen and then learning how to teach. And both are skill sets that I have continued to work at. Um, and I take, I prize um, because they show up in every discipline and in every personal relationship. Um, and so teaching yoga kind of set the foundation for my first career as a, I'll say a, a physical and fitness um, professional. And that embodied everything from teaching, you know, power sculpt to bar, to personal training, to yoga boot camp, to um, building my own physique back from my own, um, you know, hard won battles with illness and, and injury. Um, and getting on the stage and conquering some of my, you know, inner demons by um, building a muscular physique and then ultimately competing to, to turn to be an IFPB uh, bikini pro and then ultimately winning that and, you know, becoming an, an Olympian um, and reaching some athletic goals in my 20s um, and early 30s that, frankly, as a, I'll say as a talented athlete in high school, I didn't know where that was going to go. You know, you, you, there's a limit. And as we just discussed, this is, this is part of gerontology, which is kind of accepting limitations to certain things with grace and moving forward and seeing what the next step might be. And I think a lot of us were athletes as children and then we get to a certain point in that road where either the, the, the level of, of play becomes so high that few of us can enter, or there's just no um, financial gain to be, to be had. It's not viable or our bodies give out, you know? Um, 
and I think a lot of young people are are kind of devastated when when their athletic pursuits and everything they've done up until that point in their life, um, self worth and identity and hard work, are kind of become obsolete in a sense. Um, and that's where the I found the gym to be really um, soothing um, and to kind of transition that skill set into bodybuilding and weightlifting and uh, building muscle and uh, performance and, and physique. Um, and I did that for a while. And then I, I started my own business um, and I, I helped. I, the reason I started my own business was to help others um, to find their inner strength. Because as a, you know, as a young child, and, and it was never anyone in my family, but I, I experienced some, you know, sexual trauma as a, as a young child, and then throughout my early adulthood, and it was always very important for me to learn to own myself and to own my physical body. And I, I did feel like I made strides with that through bodybuilding. And that's where the deeper connection came through. Uh, and I do believe that through physical strength, we can um, learn to manage and cope with, um, our other scars. Um, and that, that journey has led me to where I am now in gerontology, because the physical is one layer. And then there's the emotional, there's the psychic, there's the spiritual, there's the mental, there's the financial, there's all types of nourishment that we need. Um, and those, the, that level of nutrition that level of nourishment changes, um, our needs change as we go through life. And I personally don't think we are very well prepared to embrace those changes. And so I uh, began studying age and um, that's why I'm in gerontology now. So when it comes to some of the invigorating or exciting realizations you had while being a student of gerontology, what comes to mind? Um, say, say more. I, I, I think gerontology is a multifaceted um, interdisciplinary study. So when it comes to aging, you know, it's, uh, it's physiology, it's biology, it's sociology, it's economics, it's psychology. Um, it's every angle, um, you know, it's not just, oh, our parts are, are fading out, what do we do next? Or it's not the study of dementia, right? It's, it's there are actually a lot of benefits to aging, um, you know, like older people are, are happier. And, you know, after midlife, we routinely become happier and happier. Um, and there's a little bit of a laugher curve with that, but um, there are a lot of things that are surprising to younger people to learn because we just can't imagine it. Um, and that I think is, ultimately, I feel like it's kind of the study of hope because I think there's a lot of despair and fear surrounding age and necessarily because it ultimately leads to death. And these are topics um, with which we are fiercely uncomfortable for the most part. Um, and that I have always been interested in the taboo. Um, and I think it's important to confront it, you know? So, um, it's, it's a prof it's a, it's 
profoundly moving to study within gerontology because it's really impossible to go through these classes without, um, without having an emotional experience alongside the material because it's not just academic, you know? Um, you're, you're, there's, there's undoubtedly somebody in your family that is going through one aspect of the aging process. Um, and it, there's pain that's associated with that and growth and joy, um, but challenge, you know? Um, and so I have found the actual discipline to be, um, to force emotional growth. And I, I really appreciate that. So you touched upon a, a number of interesting topics that uh, will be good to unpack. And you mentioned the idea of how your physical strength helps you to manage and cope with past challenges. Um, maybe you can talk about those benefits of developing physical strength and what you've seen it do, maybe not only with yourself, but with the clients that you work with. Absolutely. Um, I think oftentimes we see the external and the exterior um, and we focus on the benefits that are more superficial. And um, as a, as a segue, I, I do study vanity specifically, um, and vanity has a strong utility for health motivators. But on, on a separate, um, deeper level, you know, we have to cultivate within ourselves a certain level of discipline in order to push through two things. One of those things is challenge, the other is boredom. And whether it's at the gym or with nutrition or with passing the bar exam, um, to get past a certain level of success in any of these areas of life, we encounter challenge or boredom. You know, like <laughs> lifting weights is not necessarily difficult, but one might argue it's really boring. <laughs> You're doing the same thing over and over and over again. Now, I love it. I find it meditative. I find it, you know, melodical, um, rhythmic. But um, there are a lot of people who just can't stand it. And in order to reap the benefits of having strong bones, you know, one thing we say in gerontology is that um, aging is not, it, it is not a disease that kills us, it's frailty. And being strong, and whether that's emotionally strong or physically strong, is what the survivorhood of growing old entails. And starting with the gym and building that strength within oneself and then physically experiencing and then seeing strength that's built from within is a very powerful process that um, my clients, I, I see it every day when I train someone personally. And it's so rewarding to see them come in kind of with their head hung low with what a friend of mine calls, I hate myself posture, you know, with your shoulders slouching and, you know, someone honked at you on the street or somebody said something rude and you just don't feel your best. But when you walk out of that session, you know, 
I hope. Um, and often it's the case that my client, you know, her, her head is a little bit higher. Her chest is a little bit higher. She, she feels good about herself. She was able to say, okay, I got through that workout today. On to the next thing. I can do this. Therefore, I can do with anything else. And that's powerful. Is there a story that comes to mind of a success you've had with a client who appeared to be struggling a lot, but was able to unlock that strength of theirs? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'll say one client of mine, she's a, a very close family friend now, but um, you know, she came to me and she had more than 50 pounds to lose. She was being turned down left and right from medical school. And she was getting a really hard time from her parents about her weight and what she was doing with her life. And she wasn't finding partnership easily. And even her friends were starting to pick on her a little bit. And she just felt so down about herself. And she felt like she couldn't do anything. She felt like she kept trying and trying and just wasn't happening. And we worked together three or four times a week, each for more than an hour. And she would come and she'd say, I don't want to do that. And then, and then she would do it. And, you know, she lost 50 pounds. She got a new job. She got into medical school. Um, you know, she's now going to be married in a couple of months. Um, and she does say that, you know, when she found her strength through physically training, when she saw herself transform, you know, doing something with her energy that physically changed her outlook and output and the way she was perceived. And it all started with the way that she perceived herself. She was then more capable than she had been prior. And that was really powerful for her. And frankly, you know, it makes me tear up. Um, and it's just such, it's such a privilege to walk that journey with someone. And I just want to be clear that, you know, I'm, it's nothing special about me or training with me. There's no, there's no secret, you know, it's about, it's just, it's about doing it. That's the secret. And I'm just holding a mirror up for my clients to see themselves and their own strength. Um, and to me, that's rewarding. Yeah, it sounds extremely encouraging from where she was in comparison to her goals and where she is now. So congrats on helping her, but also being able to experience that transformation yourself and see that happen before your eyes. Yeah, when thank it you. comes it's all her. <laughs> right. But when it comes to things that excite you at this point in time about the work that you're doing, the concepts that you're learning and applying and practicing, what comes to mind? I would say renewment. Um, so renewment is a word that was uh, made up by one of my mentors. Her name is Helen Dennis. Um, and she doesn't believe in retirement. She believes in renewment. And I think this could be true for 
um, those of us across the lifespan, not just those of us who are perhaps at what has been previously called retirement age. And it's a renewed sense of energy, fulfillment, and purpose. Um, and the ability to find meaning across the lifespan, though that may change um, you know, from phase to phase or decade to decade, um, I think the human spirit of being resilient and finding new meaning um, at the end of some paths, I think is really, again, for me, that provides hope. And that's something that I'm consistently inspired and motivated to see with these older adults with whom I work and that I'm lucky enough to experience that, you know, my mentors are in their eighties and there's no sign of them slowing down. And a lot of them are fiercely pushing back on the doctrine that says that they should sit down, retire, you know, have a glass of scotch and wait until they go toes up. And they're like, not over my dead body. I'm starting over again. I'm starting a new chapter. I'm finding new meaning in this new work that I'm doing here and now. And to me, that's encouraging um, because I've never liked to go to sleep early because I don't really want the day to be over. And that's kind of how I feel about life. And I think, think it's exciting to, to know that even in a dark moment, if you keep pushing through, something bright will come that perhaps was hard to imagine. Is there anything that uh, you've surprised yourself with over the years that was once hard to imagine? Oh, yes. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> um, I am I'm in the process of, of moving right now from California to New York. I'm doing it by myself. Um, that's a microcosm, but I think running my own business um, is something I just never thought I had the uh, wherewithal to do. I was never good at, you know, asking for my worth. I was never good at administrative duties. And I'm, I'm not here to say I'm the best at those things, but it's, it's encouraging to see that, um, you know, there's a narrative we tell ourselves that, oh, I'm not naturally good at that. Oh, that's not there for me. And <laughs> well, those things are not natural for me and maybe they are natural for someone else and that's great and good for them. <laughs> but those things still have to be done. And it's been really rewarding to learn skill sets that are painfully difficult for me that are a walk in the park for someone else. So I think Life is just continuously humbling over and over. Totally. And life moves on and, and we inevitably get older. So I'm curious what you think about the future when it comes to aging, since you're in the thick of it. Um, well, just to be clear, do you mean from a physiological perspective or like, do you mean what will happen from a socio-political perspective? Or like, what, what do you mean? Because it's, it's just kind of broad. 
more physiological and the technologies that are involved. I'm curious if you have any awareness or opinions around that. Sure. What it's, looks it's, promising. Yeah, I mean, so my field is definitely, um, as I kind of mentioned earlier, it's kind of split into hard sciences and soft sciences. Um, and the hard science is, is mostly the biological and the stem cells and the rejuvenation. Um, and we don't, we don't use the word anti-aging in gerontology because it's, um, it's a bit offensive um, and it, it's not the um, moniker that we're, it's not the image we're looking to put forth that aging is something to be avoided. Instead, we wanna be able to embrace aging and have it be positive and have it be successful. Um, and when it comes to biological advances, there are, there is definitely no shortage of research or of encouraging studies that are being done right now, um, whether it's on humans or on mice, um, to show that, you know, lengthening telomeres is happening and playing with DNA strands is happening and being able to replace certain parts, like that's one of the biggest issues, right? Is, you know, you can, if you think about a car, right? If you replace the tires on a car, it can go another, a good amount of more miles, right? But if you can't replace those tires, you're going to wear through them. And even if the engine keeps keep, keep going, the hardware gets a little banged up, right? So that's kind of structurally the same issue with the human body, right? We want to make sure that our treads don't wear too thin. And we already see evidence of that with joints. Um, Joints and cartilage are delicate. Um, and there are certain valves within the human body as well that we don't love to think about, but like your esophagus um, and some of the internal plumbing that doesn't regenerate as quickly as we might need it to. Um, so with respect to, you know, we can have hips replaced now. Um, and they're making really good progress on being able to have tires available to swap out on our older models, if you will. Um, not everything has yet um, been solved for, um, but there is definitely hope to be had. Um, so that's a kind of a broad answer, but it's, it's definitely encouraging and it's really exciting even just to look at um, lifespan and health span and how, you know, millennials are looking at a lifespan and a health span of optimally 120. And that was not the case 40 years ago. Um, and for me, when I learned that, it kind of was stultifying because I was like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna, okay, that's another, if I was thinking, you know, 95, <laughs> that's another 25 years of utility and finances and um, purpose and meaning. And while it's exciting, it's also, okay, here we go. You know, it, it adds, certainly adds dimension um, onto one's long-term vision, if you will. Absolutely. And given the achievements that you've had professionally and in helping people achieve their goals, um, you're certainly giving back to your community. 
in in a meaningful way. I'm curious if there are other ways that you get involved with that as well, perhaps in volunteering or otherwise. Thank you for saying that. Um, you know, I think there are all, there are always things that are meaningful to each of us, and that is certainly one for me, being able to give back. Um, so, I, I participate in two other forms of volunteer work. Um, one of which is the group that I mentioned earlier called Renewment. Um, and it's an older women's professional group with um, women who were pioneers, essentially. Um, they had professional careers. They're now mostly in their 80s and they are looking to start their next chapter. And I take notes and volunteer my knowledge as a graduate student. Um, and any formal, any other formal knowledge I can contribute, but really I'm there to, I feel like the luckiest person in the room because I'm just absorbing the wisdom of these incredible pioneer women um, who are, you know, they really give a different meaning to our concept of what it means to be an older adult. And that is encouraging. I walk away from those meetings just I feel like I'm just absorbing the richest wisdom in the world. Um, and the other volunteer capacity I serve as a crisis counselor for uh, RAIN, the National Sexual Assault Hotline. And as I mentioned earlier, that's work that's um, personally gratifying to me and to my sense of self. Um, and it's it can be heavy, um, but it's also really fulfilling to be able to um, pitch in in a time of need in someone's life when they really just need a hand. Um, and that takes the form of, you know, emergency services or counseling, um, you know, talking through experiences um, within, you know, someone who's anonymous or um, arranging for, you know, immediate needs to be taken care of. Um, and that also every time is you know, a lot of stories. And it's usually, it's usually very hopeful, even though it's heavy. Um, it's usually a really positive experience. And I feel very blessed to have had the opportunity to be, have done, done that for many years now. You bring up something interesting that that help is heavy in that volunteer work you do. What advice would you give to people who want to give back in that same way, but might not have that emotional, let's call it fortitude to, to handle the heaviness? How does one prepare for that in order to give back in that way and offer that advice or support or emergency assistance? I think, you know, pretty quick pretty early on whether that work is suited for you, whether you're suited for that or not. And I would say, you know, we're all human and we all have a range and depth of human emotion and experiences. And I would guess that most people are capable of it if they can create the space in their minds to be capable of it. Um, again, I don't think there's anything special about me. It's personally, meaningful and that is motivating to me um, but I would say one thing that that work has really informed is my ability to keep boundaries in other areas of my life 
because you really have to be present at that time. And then you know when you're done, you know, like there's a reason why our shifts end and why we have short shifts because that work does require emotional bandwidth. And I learned very quickly that, you know, if you have the bone to be a good listener and to kind of be a social worker among your friends or even in your personal life, um, that skill set can easily leave you drained and exhausted if you don't know how to monitor it. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole make sure you have, you know, make sure you fill your energy cup before you get on the hotline and check yourself. Make sure you're not operating with an empty cup either. Um, because that's when things start to get dangerous and cloudy and unclear. Um, and I would say that the work really informs the ability to set boundaries and not the other way around. And I never would have known that. So I would encourage someone that if they feel interested in doing crisis type work to absolutely um, go for it. If you could go back in time and choose a different kind of athletic endeavor or different kind of sport, is there anything that you find yourself thinking about having tried out differently? That's a very interesting question. Um, sometimes I think I should have taken dance all the way. Um, I, <laughs> I started dance at age three or two, um, but I was kicked out at age three because I was uh, chatty Cathy. I was too talkative. And I switched to gymnastics and then I switched from gymnastics to land sports. Um, and I played uh, soccer and lacrosse and track and field. And then I ultimately played uh, lacrosse at the D3 level in college. And then I did suffer quite a heartbreak and depression when I realized, hey, you don't get to be a professional lacrosse player and also be financially sustainable. <laughs> um, and I'm often told, you know, you have the physique of a dancer. Were you a dancer? Were you a dancer? Um, and I danced in high school, so maybe a little bit of that. But at the same time, you know, the here's that age concept. But the older I get, the more I realize, you know, the way things unfolded were the way things were so kind of supposed to unfold. And um, I wouldn't trade my experiences as a professional bodybuilder for anything. And I never even knew that was an option. So I wonder if I had known growing up, you know, I've lifted weights since the eighth grade on and off, um, but I never aspired to be a professional bodybuilder. Um, and I think that was probably for the best. That's very cool that the question had relevance to you. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, if we have the opportunity, or if you had the opportunity to, to go back in time yet again, but we extend the time span to any point in history and you could meet with anyone, I wonder who comes to mind. I think um, some, some pioneer women, you know, um, like Kate the Great or Cleopatra or, 
um, you know, Eleanor D. Roosevelt or Jackie O, um, you know, to have an intimate conversation with one of or some of the most celebrated female leaders and to learn about the nuances and the limitations that they felt, the barriers that were imposed on them at that time. Um, and also to hear their vision and their perception of themselves. You know, we, we have our idea of how certain figures in, in history have been presented to us, but to be in that intimate moment and have that dialogue, that quiet moment would be really special. Phenomenal. Well, Kate, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And until next time, maybe you can share a parting thought. Likewise, thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, I think a parting thought would be, don't sell yourself short. And there is no secret. The secret is in the doing of things. And that's it. And thank, thank you, you so, much. so, so much. It's been My such pleasure. an honor. Cheers. Yeah, and have a great evening. Thanks for attending the business podcast and stay tuned for more episodes.